with bowed heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this tremendous opportunity to gather together as family in the unity of the faith, Father, of faith that you've provided us. Thank you, Father, for always keeping us on the straight and narrow and always loving us enough to keep us oriented to your plan because we know that that is where we are best able to serve you, to worship you, Father. Thank you for the privilege of doing so. And thank you for giving us the opportunity to maybe win a soul so that we might have additional brothers and sisters in Christ for all of eternity, Father. Father, we pray for those that can't be with us, that earnestly desire to be here with us but are ill. Your will be done, of course, but we pray that you heal them uh, sooner than later. Father, we pray also for those still lost in this world that you humble them in whatever means or by whatever means necessary so that they too might be saved. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to make an evening like this even a reality. We do just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. You're going to have to forgive my voice. Um, it's just, uh, <coughs> it's allergy. I think I've got allergies and post-nasal and what have you, so my voice is still uh, hurting. Uh, last Thursday, <clears throat> if you remember, was a great lesson, and uh, I received a lot of positive feedback. Uh, from some pretty grateful congregants. Um, here's a highlight reel from that lesson up here on the board uh, on perspective. So much has been on the concept of perspective from God the Holy Spirit. The greatest mirror we've ever been given is the Word of God. Uh, if you feel lost or dismayed or uh, just a little out of sorts as of late, uh, now is the time to get back to the Word of God. Uh, to understand what's actually going on in your soul. Uh, the only uh, word that's strong enough, the only word that's able or capable of doing that good work in you is the Word of God. And that's something that the Spirit really jumped on, frankly, uh, last Thursday evening. Uh, one of the ways that he said that was up here on the board Reading your Bible is taking is like taking your medicine. Uh, we're all sick in the head. We all need a dose of medicine <clears throat> uh, consistently each and every day of our lives. And if we do not take our medicine, so to speak, uh, then we begin to get sicker and sicker. Um, and so reading our Bible is like taking your medicine. More specifically, on perspective, while they may not realize it at first, what a humble person finds in the Bible are the very motivating factors for living itself. Purpose, self-esteem, direction. These are gifts from God meant to annihilate fear, insecurity, and lostness, the exact opposites, things that come with spiritual death. Again, purpose, self-esteem, and direction. <clears throat> now, it was at this point that the Spirit brought up a practical issue regarding reading your Bibles. First and foremost, it is the Bible that gives us truth, 
that sets us free. It is the Bible, the Word of God, that gives us truth that sets us free. Neither I nor anyone else can set another person free. It's not my job to set you free. I'm merely a bus driver, a waiter at best. Uh, and the best, the worst thing I can do is get in the way and pretend even for one moment that I can set you free. That is not my job. It's not my lot in life. I'm not God. Certainly not the Word. So neither I nor anyone else can set another person free. Only the Word of God has that power, along with the Spirit as its agent, of course. So for some of you, apparently so, uh, after hearing from so many of you after last Thursday's lesson, uh, for some of you, reading a devotional uh, had supplanted reading your Bible. And um, I was wondering why the Spirit brought up uh, what he did last Thursday uh, with the force he did. Uh, but turns out, after the lesson, having a hearing from several of you, uh, that in honesty, uh, you've told me that you basically were reading your devotional uh, instead of your Bible. And that's a very dangerous thing. Someone even described it to me as a lazy way to get a pick-me-up. <laughs> a lazy way, a quick and easy way to get a pick-me-up, if you would. Instead of reading the Bible, um, an easy way or a lazy way to get a pick-me-up. And the problem with that is one key principle that kept coming up on Thursday <clears throat> last. It's not a devotional's job to interpret the Bible. It's the Bible's job to interpret a devotional, and it seems um, some people have that backwards. Some people take the devotional and use it as the interpreter for the Bible, as if to what imply that a mere human like themselves can't discern truth by reading their Bible. Well, that's a lie from the pit of hell. So it's not a devotional's job to interpret the Bible. It's the Bible's job to interpret a devotional. So last Thursday, the Spirit took a fair amount of time reminding you all of the following. Devotionals should always be read with caution. Always be read with caution. Unless a person is reading their Bible faithfully, I mean like daily, and really paying attention to it, really putting good effort into it, they ought not be reading devotional. There's no reason to read a devotional if you're not reading your Bible. There's no reason whatsoever to be reading devotional if you're not reading your Bible. Furthermore, while so-called, quote, devotionals may serve as friendly little reminders or perspectives to devoted Bible readers, though hardly necessary, they can and do supplant the Word's rightful place in the soul for those who barely or never read their Bible. And that's the danger. Um encouraging people, I won't do it, obviously, as a shepherd, encouraging people to read a devotional instead of the Bible. Oh, you don't feel like picking up the Bible because it's too offensive or it's too gritty or whatever your problem is with it? So here, read a, someone's interpretation of it instead. Here, here's a little softer version of Jesus for you. One more principle. <clears throat> Remember... No person, for example, any writer, will ever be responsible for delivering another person. Only the Spirit in the Word is powerful enough to do that. 
quips, themes, and anecdotes, regardless of how well packaged or presented, will never replace plain truth. Again, the key principle is simple. It's not a devotional's job to interpret the Bible. It's the Bible's job to interpret a devotional. The Spirit even got specific with a very popular contemporary devotional called Jesus Calling uh, by a woman, uh, Sarah Young. And come to find out, she was inspired by a book written in the 1930s called, or titled God Calling, that was written by a couple of unknown women practicing cult tactics called automatic writing. This is when a person supposedly has the ability to hear God's voice directly, and when they do, they write down what they hear. Uh, They call themselves listeners. You know, that would be like a modern-day prophet would do, except there are no more prophets like that. There aren't listeners like that which makes the entire proposition of inspiration satanic. And these are this particular author's own words on automatic writing. The author of Jesus Calling is quoted as saying, these women practiced waiting quietly in God's presence, pencils and paper in hand, recording the messages they received from God. This little paperback became a treasure to me. Just a few more things to think about on devotionals. The danger that inherently exists in devotionals never exists when we read the Holy Bible. Unless you have time to read both, you should only be reading one, the Bible. And even then, you ought to proceed with extreme caution. These are all warnings from God the Holy Spirit. Therefore, Be exceedingly careful about reading devotionals. They are not the Word of God. They are mostly not written by anointed men of God. They should never be given in place of the Bible and certainly not as a, quote, softer approach to evangelism. I've heard of that as well, which is really dumbfounding to me, that you would give someone, an unbeliever, a devotional instead of the Word of God. I don't... Why? Is the Word of God too offensive for this person? Have they rejected the truth in the first place? And now you're going to depend on some lady or some dude to, what, teach them the truth about our Lord and Savior? As if He needs interpretation? As if He needs or deserves to be dumbed down or softened? The sovereign God of the universe? whom we all ought to respect implicitly. This isn't an issue of uh, being too, too hard or too soft. It's an issue of an unbeliever's arrogance. And how dare we, as so-called evangelists, try to soften Jesus Christ so that he's more palatable for people. That's not evangelism at all. That's uh, human rationalism trying to... Um, Widen the gate? I don't know. It's no good. That's the best I can give you. What the Spirit's saying is, in, 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 uh, in brief, is let's not complicate something so simple. You already have everything you'll ever need 
with the grace I've given you. You certainly don't need to be reading extra-biblical texts that might harm your soul, especially not ones that are wrongly inspired. I've even heard of people giving devotionals, again, to unbelievers, as if they can do what God cannot through His Word and Spirit. That's essentially the message you're sending to the unbeliever. Oh, you don't like the Bible? Not real fond of what God the Holy Spirit's trying to do in your soul right now with the truth from the Word of God? Here, let me dumb it down for you. Here, let me soften the blow. God doesn't want you to soften the blow. That's the whole point. We're on part 29 of what is repentance. God doesn't need help in softening the blow when it comes to the truth in the Bible. He only needs faithful servants willing to serve His meals, rejecting the temptation to salt them along the way. I just mentioned that. The worst thing that a pastor can do is salt the meal or pepper it or season it somehow or change it somehow. Who am I to change the truth, to modify it, to make it more uh, palatable? for human or fleshly taste buds. Who am I? So, another point on that, the Spirit's been driving home. Devotionals aren't to be used as, quote, icebreakers for evangelism. They're not icebreakers for evangelism. That is a grave mistake and one that echoes of what the Spirit's been fighting against from this pulpit for three years now. We're going to get to the, we're going to get to the truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then we're going to contemplate what? Softening it? We're going to go backwards? We are not to water down the truth about Jesus Christ, yet how many devotionals do you know? Seriously. How many devotionals do you know of that speak of His wrath, His anger, His judgment? How many devotionals do you know that speak of God's wrath, God's anger, God's judgment? I can't even think of one. Not one. So... That's a very interesting thing because here's the thing. You ready? In the absence of those things, how do you present, say, repentance? How do you present repentance to someone who's been spared, quote-unquote, the full force of God's hatred against sin? And by the way, Um, does God send sin to the lake of fire? Or does He send sinners to the lake of fire? Oh, it would be too harsh to say that God has a hatred towards any human being, yet He sends them to the lake of fire? So, how do you present repentance if you're unwilling to, to present God's hatred of sin, His wrath, His anger, 
His sovereignty, His integrity, His justice. How do you do that? If all you do is give somebody this watered-down, pathetic version of Jesus Christ in an ungodly-inspired devotional. What is it that you're trying to do? That's what the Spirit's saying. Here's the key message, and listen up, up here on the board. God saves based on pure truth. He doesn't need help from human writers to make His perfect word more palatable or digestible. We evangelists ought never muddy the waters. We ought to give people truth, nothing less. Truth, nothing less. Again, all of this has been one big old warning against what can fairly be described as that which supplants holy truth. If you don't have enough of the Word in you, then you should be focusing on that issue. If you don't have enough of the Word of God in you, then that's what you should be focused on. If you perceive someone else is suffering that same thing, that is what you should be focusing on. Give them the Word. Give them the truth. Not short-circuiting your issues or someone else's and therefore stunting their spiritual growth. Again, it's not a devotional's job to interpret the Bible. It's the Bible's job to interpret a devotional. And I shared with you from our head deacon, Deacon Todd Johnson, I've learned that the only book I ever need to read is the Holy Bible. If I want truth, need encouragement, need reminding, reorientation, then I know where to go for deliverance. I know where to go. And if I want someone else to be delivered, where do you think, where do you think he's going to point them? To the thing that sets them free? Or someone's watered-down interpretation of the thing that sets them free. Which one do you want to give a person? If we could just stop for a moment and stop trying to meet others halfway. If we stop trying to accommodate human flesh. If someone rejects the Word of God, then that's between them and the Lord. That's between them and the Lord. You are not going to shoehorn them into heaven. You're not going to find some new creative way to evangelize them. Because Jesus Christ said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And that's the end of it. He's the Word of God. If someone rejects the Word of God at face value, you're not going to evangelize them with a devotional. That's what the Spirit's saying. Getting back to our primary course of study now, what do you think I'm doing? I'm fighting the good fight. These are all these little nuances that keep me up at night. The truth is nothing shy of immutable, making it infinitely impenetrable, unflappable, uncompromising. Soldiers fight for truth no matter what. When emotionalism leads, the truth is always softened 
and God misrepresented. Just like he often is in those little devotionals that sit on the back of people's toilets. It's not the fullness of Christ. It's some emasculated feminine version of Jesus. Hebrews 10, 24-25, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. And I was just thinking about it. When this came up in my own notes, I said, you know what? There's another perverted definition. This time it's encouragement. There's another favorite of the kingdom of darkness. Oh, well, I like to encourage people. Well, good for you. But how about encouraging them with the whole truth? How about that for a change? Instead of being an emotional basket case. Somehow this concept has been perverted into something this concept of encouragement has become something completely feminine. And I'm not surprised. DJ, right before class, he says, oh yeah, I just sent you a link to uh, some woman who's trying to get the word man out of everything, like firemen, policemen. Well, how do you say? Man-made. What's the, what's the problem? You guys think I'm like some kind of uh, feminine hater, but I'm not. I'm really not. I mean, God has femininity to him. So I'm not like this hater of all things feminine. Believe me, I'm not. But Tashuka is not going to come into my house unnoticed and unfought with. It's not going to dominate on my watch because that's exactly what this world wants and they've robbed all these words these pristine beautiful words given to us by God himself things like encouragement for example I was thinking about encouragement true encouragement the lie if someone's feelings get hurt it can't possibly be encouraging really Oh, my feelings get hurt. What doesn't hurt your feelings nowadays? Everything hurts your feelings. You're like a little candy ass. Do you know what I'm saying? Everything hurts your feelings. And I'm talking to men. Most men are, are women with certain appendages. That's about, that's about what most men are. I hate to be so grotesque and raw that, this evening, but you can see how um, indignant I am at what I see in this world. It's disgusting. If someone's feelings get hurt, it cannot possibly be encouraging. The truth is, the Word of God, no matter how offensive to human feelings, is always the best form of encouragement. 
The Word of God always, no matter how offensive it is, is always the best form of encouragement. I suppose in all fairness to the generic form of the Word, it's as much about the end goal as the activity. I mean, even a lie can, quote, encourage someone in some way. It's just that it is encouraging a person to head off in the wrong direction. Oh, but I'm encouraging so-and-so. Yeah, you are. You're encouraging them to go in the wrong direction. That's what your encouragement is. See, the Word of God always sets us in the right direction. It may sting, it may be offensive, but who cares? I'm encouraging you, whether it hurts or not, to go in the right direction. I don't care if your feelings get hurt. I'm encouraging you, sometimes with a staff, sometimes with a rod. Either way, I'm encouraging you to go in the right direction based on this. Up here on the board, on true encouragement. We are trying to get people to Christ, right? Right. That's our job. Why in the world would we ever want to give them a faulty compass? Why in the world would we ever do that to them? Only the truth from the Word is able to orient a person correctly. Again, we are trying to get people to Christ. Why in the world would we ever want to give them a faulty compass? Only the truth from the Word is able to orient a person correctly. John 8.32 up here on the board. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The truth, not someone's interpretation of it. The truth. That's what sets people free. This is what true encouragement looks like, my friends. And it's from a root of true love as well. Galatians 4.16, So I have become your enemy by telling you the truth. Food for thought. Honesty is not judgment. Never confuse sound encouragement with legalistic prodding. One is honesty. The other is judgmental. If the Lord desires that we stimulate one another to love and good deeds, Hebrews 10.24, then let us be honest with each other about everything. Let us be honest with each other about everything. It's not honest to lie to someone and call it encouragement. It's not honest to lie to someone about Jesus Christ. It's not honest to do those things. We finished last Thursday with a principle that has been much of the reason why we spent so much time engaged in this brutal fighting up here in the board. To pervert core gospel definitions is to do the work of the devil. Jesus, come on. Jesus is not who he's supposed to be in contemporary Christianity. I mean, Jesus Christ, the person, the definition, the character, 
of the person himself is not biblical anymore. That's the problem. Because nobody wants Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's the God, God's honest truth, isn't it? Nobody actually wants Jesus Christ. Now, if you water him down a little bit and you shrink him and you emasculate him and you feminize him, maybe, just maybe, they'll take him. But by then, he's not even who he's supposed to be. It's another Jesus. And whenever it becomes another Jesus, then it's not the same gospel. Because my Lord is strong. My Lord is bold. My Lord is loving. He's encouraging. He's all those things. But if, I, if you want to learn about the, Him, you've got to learn about Him. He is the Word. And Satan's really smart. So what he does is he perverts definitions. Is he really, is he really like that? Wouldn't it be nicer if, wouldn't it be better if, wouldn't we have bigger church if, wouldn't we reach more people if, shouldn't we just skip that part of the Bible for now? Shouldn't we not talk about repentance right up front? Shouldn't we try to show these people love? Shouldn't we feminize Jesus? Shouldn't, it, shouldn't the gospel become some emotional whirlwind? Woo! What do you think all this is about? What do you think all this is about? The rock bands and the hoopla and the lights and the, the craziness. It's to get people emotionally spun up. Because that's who they want Jesus to be, a woman. Jesus, I'm going to tell you, Jesus is not a woman. He's the farthest thing from a woman. John 10.1, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. Man's flesh tries to accommodate itself and the flesh of others. And in doing so, it bolsters its efforts with perverted definitions for grace, mercy, love, etc., as we've seen. Even Jesus. And this, my friends, is what we call true evil. When someone attempts to thwart or pervert God's salvation plan, they are agents of the devil himself. Jesus had no tolerance for anyone, including his apostles. He had no tolerance for anyone who stood in the way of his gospel, even the well-intentioned. Go to Matthew 16, 21. Matthew 16, 21. Anybody who's trying to thwart or pervert or frustrate God's salvation plan is an agent of the devil 
himself, even the well-intentioned. Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Peter thinks he's going to save the day, right? Puts his cape on. I'll never let it happen. What did Jesus say? He turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. What do you think you do when you water down the gospel? Whose mind are you set on? Whose interests are you, is your mind set on? Certainly not God's. Because God is omnipotent. If He wants to draw someone to the gospel, through the truth, then it's going to happen. But you changing anything? You trying to accommodate things? Um, if anything, you're frustrating. You're getting in the way. Your mind is on the interests of man, not God's. And that's exactly what Jesus said. Get behind me, Satan. Again, when someone attempts to thwart, pervert God's salvation plan, they are agents of the devil himself. Jesus had, we just noted, no tolerance for anyone who stood in the way of his gospel, even the well-intentioned. On this topic, we've ended a couple of times now on one key passage namely Galatians 1. Let's review and finish that now. Go to Galatians 1, 6. Galatians 1, verse 6. That's all the Spirit's trying to say, folks. And some of you fall into the Peter camp. You're, well in, you're well-intentioned people. You just sort of lost your way. Someone, maybe someone or something convinced you that you were able to better the gospel presentation or somehow you were able to, I don't know, make it more palatable without losing it. Um, but that's a lie. Galatians 1.6 I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Sounds like what Jesus said to Peter. Am I... Seeking the favor of men, am I, is my mind on the interests of man or God's? Or am I striving to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, 
but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ up here on the board. <clears throat> Neither received it from man. No part of the gospel of Jesus Christ ought to be invented, speculated upon, or even reasoned upon. Haven't we proven that to ourselves yet over the last three years? No part of the gospel of Jesus Christ ought to be invented, speculated upon, or even reasoned upon. Who cares if it doesn't make sense to you? Who cares what you think about that person who just you just can't seem to evangelize? Who cares about what you think you can reason with to make them be saved? Who cares what you think? Who cares if you think it's even fair? Oh, well, they grew up in this environment, and they were this, and they were that, and they were this, and they were... Who cares what you think? Are you saying that God's not able? Stop making excuses for people. No part of the gospel of Jesus Christ ought to be invented, speculated upon, or even reasoned upon. God's grace and mercy and salvation will never make sense to arrogance. However, it is the living hope of all who are saved. 1 Peter 1, 3-5 Now, before we close out this series, we need to really connect our recent lessons with our primary course of study regarding repentance. Every topic, now concentrate, and we're going to go big picture now. Every topic we've studied intersects fundamentally at the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything. We looked at what? Humility, mercy, repentance, all these things. They intersect at the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where everything worth studying begins and ends. Remember, he is the Alpha and the Omega. So step back for a moment and see the big picture. Once the Spirit is able to teach you one simple perspective... Everything else falls neatly into place. One simple perspective. You might ask, well, what is that one simple truth? The one simple truth is that the gospel is everything. That's it. That's pretty simple. The gospel is everything. If perspective is everything, then the gospel is the lens we see through. How about that? How about that? In other words, everything we see, everything we ponder, every part of creation, every part of ourselves, every part of everyone else, we see through the lens of the gospel. Everything. Perspective is everything. The gospel is the lens we see everything through. The whole gospel. The respectful, righteous truth about the gospel, all of it, that God is sovereign and He demands orientation. He hates sin. He sends sinners to hell for all of eternity. He crushed His own Son to make a way for us. Are we going to belittle that? It's okay to crush the God-man? but not the sensibilities of Uncle Jimmy or the unbeliever, the arrogant jackass 
who just won't seem to believe. God can crush His only begotten Son, and we're okay with that? But we can't crush the sensibilities of feministic man? Because Jesus is too strong and too masculine and too demanding for this pathetically weak, corrupt world? This is what we're going to propose? Put on a skirt then. But I won't. I'd rather walk around naked. Sorry. Put on a skirt then. This entire world turns into a bunch of pansies. It's not Christianity at all. We're to see this entire world through the gospel. It's everything to us. It's why we have hope, right? It's why He left us here after salvation. This is why we're here. And if we're not willing to um, accept the truth about it, like I just said, then go put on a skirt, you pansy. Go sit in the corner and go play pretend with your devotionals. Otherwise, gird your loins, suck it up, and let's go. Because we're soldiers, and soldiers get dirty and bruised, and we have missing limbs and broken teeth. This is about getting into the trench. This is trench warfare. Can a soldier still love? You bet. You ever see a soldier come home to his family? You want to see real tears? Don't give me this crap, oh world, about how men like me are somehow ancient barbaric dinosaurs. That's a crock of you know what. And I'm sick of it. Because that has nothing to do with my Lord. I look at this world and I'm offended by it. It's disgusting. It's corrupt to the core. And half of it is inside the so-called churches of Jesus Christ. Only it's a different Jesus. It's not my Jesus. It's some emasculated thing. And everybody wants him. Well, then you know what? As God would say, let that be your judgment. You can have him. If perspective is everything, then the gospel is the lens we see through. The gospel is the very centerpiece to mankind's existence. Go to Romans 5, verse 1. Romans 5, verse 1. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in hope of the glory of God. 
Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's the God that I know. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in hope of the glory of God. Again, the point on the board, if perspective is everything, then the gospel is the lens that we see it through. And, of course, the gospel is the very centerpiece to mankind's existence. And I was thinking about this. Excuse me. Some theologians have even postulated that since God knew before he even created mankind that man would fall, that he created man, at least in part, to prove a point, that he is gracious, merciful, and loving, that he made a way. He knew man was going to fall before he even created him. At least in part, he, re- he has revealed to us the proof point that He is gracious and merciful and loving. In other words, why else would an omniscient God create creatures He knew would fall if He wasn't planning on offering every one of them salvation by grace? The proof is in the pudding, as they say. You see, it's all loving to open up a way back to Him through reconciliation. You see, Satan always says, oh, that's great, but how can a loving God? Or why is it not, why is it not wider, this gate? That's, that's the trap that you have to avoid. An arrogant person will always take that route. A humble one will get on their knees and say, thank you for letting me in. Even if i got to squeeze in like this, if I have to strive, if I have to agonize to get in, thank you, because I had no other way of being reconciled to you, O holy God of the universe. It's all loving to open up a way back to Him through reconciliation. It's all loving to say to His creatures, you fell, but I've made a way. After all, he's the one who did say in John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Is that not gracious enough? Is that not a big enough show of love? Apparently not. Not according to the feministic Christians out there. Not according to the ones who are um, peddling a different Jesus. Apparently not. Apparently the cross wasn't enough. Apparently Jesus isn't kind enough. God, the God of mercy, grace, and love, sent His only begotten Son to reconcile the lost to Himself. He didn't create robots because love can never be robotic to be true. It must be a function of free will. So, when we open ourselves up in humility 
to understand how gracious our God has been with we fallen creatures. We aren't interested in lawyering up with Him. We are overwhelmed with a sense of gratitude. We do as the angels in heaven do. We worship Him. Contrarily, we'll never worship God if we're unwilling to deny self first. That's the problem. It's the same problem that Jesus got to every time. You don't want me. Therefore, you will die in your sins. You like the idea of me saving you, but you don't want me. I am the rock of offense. I am a stumbling block to you. He said to the arrogant. He always got down to the nitty-gritty, didn't he? He didn't make any bones about it. He just said, you don't want me. You want to use me, just like you use everyone else in the history of your life. Because that's what arrogant people do. We'll never worship God if we're unwilling to deny self first. That's all that Jesus was explaining when he said, repent and deny self. That's all he was saying. You see, during our last several lessons, we've run up upon the very definition of repentance. And that's been the question. What is this thing called repentance? Repentance is grace. Repentance is merciful. God grants repentance that leads to life. Acts 11.18 That's what repentance is. It's grace. It's merciful. And God grants it to those and it leads to life. Up here on the board, Acts 11.18 When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege of studying your word this evening. Thank you for taking us full circle on the simplicity of your gospel, including repentance and faith that leads to life, Father. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for orienting us to the truth even when it stings father we know that that is true encouragement from a father who loves us may we always reflect the same love towards others to bring glory to you we ask these things in jesus christ's precious name by the power of the spirit we do pray amen thank you